This may sound counterintuitive, but many Hollywood studios presently consider it a safer bet to spend $100 million to bankroll a new installment in a mega-expensive franchise like Star Wars than to produce several smaller, mid-budget features instead. People don't have any familiarity with the new stuff, and in an environment where streaming has overtaken everything and there are lots of other options for your entertainment dollar, it is a little safer to go with the familiar familiarity is a comfort. At some point, putting all eggs in one's basket, whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, or whatever else, is going to fail disastrously. But at this moment of recording, it hasn't to a certain degree yet. This is why we have so many ancillary byproducts of sprawling mega-franchises at the moment. Pretty much all of them are disposable, optional detours for superfans. Star Wars The Clone Wars, not to be confused with the 2008 series of the same name, see, we're already stumbling over this well, thing with ancillaries. We're talking about Clone Wars, not The Clone Wars, just Clone Wars. Yeah, that clears it up. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, this came about when this sort of thing was present, but not quite omnipresent. It is frequently lauded as one of the best-case scenarios for a product of its nature, largely due to the striking, powerful fight scenes by director Gendy Tartakovsky, which I am going to wax rhapsodically upon <laughs> several times, I imagine. <laughs> My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive. And it's me, Rachel, back once again. And uh, this is actually one of my picks. I mean, we both like Star Wars, although we have vastly different opinions on Star Wars, but probably more on that later. I've had ambivalent feelings about talking about Star Wars on this show just because of how it's been hijacked by people who want to replicate the infamous success of Gamergate by throwing a whole bunch of white supremacist shit at angry nerds on other idioms, you know, comic books, Ghostbusters, so on and so forth. So yeah, I would really like to not get into an ethics and games journalism type of tirade with anyone who's listening to this. <laughs> but yeah, we're not talking about like one of the more divisive Star Wars byproducts. Just about everybody who's into Star Wars seems to like this. Yeah, or at least think better of it than some of the other prequel things. I think that this show alone justifies the prequels, but yeah, once again, we'll, we'll get back to that. First, plot recap. Such as it is, if you are familiar with this show already, I imagine you are if you clicked on this. The Clone Wars, for its first two seasons, is really a series of three to five minutes vignettes that sort of add up to a cohesive plot, so I'm going to be compartmentalizing this quite a bit. But anyways, the series takes place shortly after Attack of the Clones, as the failing Galactic Republic and the Jedi are under siege from the Separatist Confederacy of Independent Systems and the Sith. They have recently buttressed their forces with a clone army at the behest of Chancellor Palpatine, who's just been handed all of this executive power. And yeah, that's going to come back to them in unpleasant ways. Spoilers from a <laughs> film trilogy that's... 20 years old and answering oh, to one oh that is 30 God. years before yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as the war rages, more and more planets slip from Republic control. The main storyline starts with the Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi leading an assault on the planet Moonlist, home of the intergalactic banking clan. <laughs> 
yeah. the baking plan. All right, well, hopefully you are here to have me do impressions of, like, every single goddamn Star Wars character, because I'm gonna. I mean, it was actually pretty hard not to, like, say, I'm lost in years, but it was really hard for me not to say all the dialogue with the TV when we were watching this. <laughs> there wasn't much dialogue, so it's easy to set into your head. More on that yeah, later yeah, as well. Yeah, more on that later, yeah. Anyway, that's the recap. The Moodleists are benefactors of the Separatists, and they wish to break away from the Republic. Obi-Wan's apprentice, Anakin Skywalker, is personally appointed to lead the Space Forces by Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. Meanwhile, Separatist leader Count Dooku takes in the Force-sensitive Asajj Ventress as his Sith apprentice and sends her to eliminate Anakin. Well, he's not really quite his Sith apprentice because there's only two get around it. She's like a dark Jedi. I'm not gonna go off on a huge tangent about her her backstory and everything, but yeah, she's like technically not a Sith. Yeah, Dooku does give a speech about that, how how she fights like a Sith, but she knows fear and Sith do not. (laughs) Bullshit. Uh, I mean, I love Count Dooku, uh, even though he isn't voiced by Christopher Lee, so I'm just just happy to see him. Uh, Anakin diverts his attention in the middle of an important space battle to pursue Ventress to Yavin 4, where he manages to defeat her in a lightsaber duel by drawing upon his anger. More on that when we get to the thematic portion. Oh yeah, and it's a beautiful lightsaber fight. Like, it's drawn out, there's barely any dialogue. Almost, I think the second episode, because if you watch this on Disney+, Plus, it's like two different hour-long chunks. So I think the first hour has far less dialogue than the second half. Right, for the third and final season, instead of being three to five minutes long, they're more ten to fifteen, so Mm -hmm. they're able to cram in a bit more. But yeah, getting back to that lightsaber fight, that is one of my personal favorite lightsaber fights, and just one of the effects is that it starts drizzling, and Tartakovsky draws a lot of tension out of having no other sound other than the water evaporating on the lightsaber as the raindrops slap it, and that's a wonderful effect. Yeah, it's amazing, because I I also don't think that that appears in any other Star Wars property. Yeah, and uh, as, since we're in the immediate wake of the Disney trilogy, where they were aggressively trying to not do anything that other Star Wars movies hadn't done before, except for the second one, it was refreshing to watch somebody do Star Wars stuff and then just sort of take it out from the grounds of the well-trod-upon path. Mm-hmm. Surrounding this storyline are various battles focusing on other Jedi and, and their wartime exploits. Master Mace Windu faces a droid army unarmed for the most part, so he uses his Force TK uh, on uh, yeah. on various robots, and it's, it's very fucking awesome. It is cool, and they're not just battle droids, they're super battle droids, the one that have the guns in their arm, their giant smushy smush machine, and it's pretty fucking awesome. That's yeah. another one where I think silence is drawn out, that when there is a noise, it's a little bit more meaningful. Yeah, and the, the robots command this hovering spacecraft that doesn't like eradicate cities with a ray beam like most spaceships. It has like this metallic pile dryer that just drives its piston down and smashes everything. So, like, rudder, rudder. big dramatic noise impact. Yeah. While that's going on, Master Yoda travels to the ice world Ilum to save two imperiled Jedi. The amphibious Kid Fisto leads an aquatic regiment of clone troopers on the water world Mon Calamari, and a team of Jedi encounter the dreaded General Grievous. 
on Hypen, and that one is kind of like a slasher movie, oh, yeah. where where they're all huddled together, and Grievous is just sort of picking them off one by one, and you never really leave the Jedi's perspective, so you don't quite know where Grievous is going to strike next. He's pretty scary. I mean, he's kind of like scary and kind of goofy because he in like uh, Revenge of the Sith because he's also been turned into like a meme because he's just always like General Kenobi. You are a bold one. Like, the, yeah, I mean, I follow, like, the prequel meme pages and, like, I can quote them all. But he is really scary in this. Then you find out, you know, at the beginning of the next part that he's, he can make his arms into forearms. And he's got a billion lightsabers that he takes, you know, as a fine addition to his collection. Yeah, every time he kills a Jedi, <laughs> he takes their lightsaber yeah. as a trophy. I am not accustomed to General Grievous being imposing in any capacity. This is the only time I have felt him in that way. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty bloodless carnage here. I mean, I think that there are some, like, violent moments that can be perceived as being upsetting. But I still think some of the more gruesome deaths are when people are fighting against General Grievous in that sequence. Like, he stomps on Kiari Mundi's stupid apprentice, whose name is literally Sha'agi, because he looks like Shaggy Rogers from Scooby-Doo. He, like, smooshes him, and then there's the guy whose face he crushes with his foot. Like, there's no blood, but it's still like, ooh. All right, well, we're getting into the second half of this. Uh, Obi-Wan sends his team of ARC troopers to Hypery to rescue the Jedi from Grievous. The Republic is desperate at this point, and after some back-and-forth consideration, the Jedi Council ultimately decides to promote Anakin to the rank of Jedi Knight. The series then jumps ahead to nearly the end of the war, when Anakin has become a much more powerful Jedi. He aids Obi-Wan in capturing a fortress, he saves Sassi-Tin in space battle, and rescues some Jedi from crab droids. Anakin and Obi-Wan are assigned to search for Grievous on the planet Nelvon, but instead end up liberating a group of Nelvanians who have been enslaved and mutated by the Separatist Techno-Union. That's actually probably my favorite plot point from this, is with the Nelvanians and just Anakin's, you know, hallucination quest. They uh, sort of reprise a motif introduced in uh, Empire Strikes Back where, you know, Luke is training with Yoda and he goes into the shadow tree and Yoda tells him not to take his weapons because all he will take in there is what is with him and, of Mm -hmm. course, fights the specter of Darth Vader and slays it, but, oh, turns out it has Luke's face because he gave in to his violent urges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a little, like, nightmare sequence when Anakin, like, inhales, like, probably hallucinogenic gas while he's on the quest to help the Nelvanians. Nelvanians? Uh, However you say it. I think that that sequence is, like, pretty terrifying because it's about, like, you know, a warrior who defeats a monster but loses his hand and gains some of the monster's powers, but it just keeps growing and growing and growing until it completely consumes everything in his life, destroying him, and then you get a nice little glimpse of Darth Vader's mask. Yes, it's a psychedelic odyssey that reveals to Anakin that he will be corrupted by the dark side of the Force and become the shambling half-man of Darth Vader. Of course, he probably doesn't want to think about it. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, Grievous leads an assault on Coruscant, and despite the best efforts of Yoda, Mace Windu, Shock T, and others, kidnaps Palpatine for his master, Count Dooku. Anakin and Obi-Wan then set out to rescue the Chancellor over Coruscant, leading directly to the first scene in Revenge of the Sith. Which is honestly one of the coolest space battles in Star Wars. I'll give it that. Alright, for the development of this program, Gendy Tartakovsky began working on this series shortly after Dexter's Laboratory concluded, and he was in between seasons of Samurai Jack. How was he asked to do this? Was it somebody at Lucasfilm? Was it George Lucas? Was Cartoon Network trying to get some of that sweet, sweet Star Wars moolah? I believe Lucasfilm contacted Cartoon Network, who then decided that Gendy Tartakovsky was best suited for the job. All right, that makes sense to me, because he was. Clone Wars' minimal dialogue and tightly edited action choreography on top of its character design reuse a number of tricks that Tartakovsky polished to perfection in Samurai Jack. This very much feels like Samurai Jack, but with lightsabers. Yeah, I have never seen Samurai Jack. I have a feeling that I would like it a lot. We're going to talk more about this later, but Ryan and I are both big fans of Tartakovsky's current project, Primal, and you can kind of see some of the motifs in Clone Wars that he will use again in Primal. According to Tartakovsky, Clone Wars was written very quickly. It took about two weeks for them to camera out where everything was going. He credits this to a very small crew that already had a lot of experience working together. Mm-hmm. The first season, as I mentioned already, consisted of a series of three to five minute episodes that gradually linked together to form an ongoing storyline. Season two had a similar length, but for the last season, the runtime was extended to 12 to 15 minutes. Episodes were aired on Cartoon Network at the beginning of their primetime line. Up. The episode was then made available for download on the following day. I remember watching it when it aired originally. I remember my dad being like, oh, you guys got to watch the Star Wars. So I mostly remember seeing the early, like, Clone Troopers Assault and a few other ones. I did watch it, like, as a kid because my cousins had it on DVD, so we would put that on because we all love Star Wars. But I do remember watching it when it originally aired. Yeah, I do remember, like, the early episode where the Clone Troopers were blowing up the uh, space canon and it's there's almost no dialogue whatsoever it's mostly just the troopers communicating with each other through military hand signals and it's awesome there are a number of nods in this to nelvana the canadian animation studio that produced uh, droids in the ewoks cartoon both in 1985 was it the ewoks that you guys that you and pete talked about an episode or was that oh that was the caravan of courage yeah we we talked about the live action ewoks film yeah that was really that was a really that was a good episode C-3PO was given big, expressive eyes and a nod to the uh, droids cartoon, and as I mentioned earlier, much of the action in Season 3 takes place on the planet Nelvon, which is a direct reference to the studio. Also, a Duloc, the rival species to the Ewoks, introduced in the Ewoks cartoon, and make a cameo in Chapter 21. The dog-like inhabitants of Nelvon resemble several characters in Nelvana's 1983 film Rock and Rule, which I covered in a prior episode with Cheryl. Oh yeah, I, I've actually seen it and I can I can see it, but I think the Nelvanians look a lot less deep dive into the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> they look a little bit more approachable because I feel like with rock and roll, they don't quite look people, I mean animal enough. They look too much like people and it's weird. Yeah, Tartakovsky's aesthetics <laughs> cues more towards the um, streamlined. Yeah. 
Although I do think it's impressive that he is able to evince the actor's appearance with just a small handful of minimal lines. Mm-hmm. Like, not only does it look like Obi-Wan, it also looks like Ewan McGregor. Yeah, it really does. Star Wars The Clone Wars is also noteworthy for introducing General Grievous. He showed up here before Revenge of the Sith even came out. Grievous did not have a voice actor in Revenge of the Sith when they were producing Season 3, so Cordy sort of gave themselves a... Uh, yeah, yeah, get out of jail free card by having voice actor Richard McGonagall come up with something and then have Mace Windu use his force powers to crush Grievous's windpipe. Well, that's and why he coughs so much. He's like, what's the situation, Captain? I think that sounds like Grover, not General Grievous. Yeah, lovable furry old Grievous. <laughs> Another thing I found interesting is that art director Paul Rudish based the architecture on the Moonalist world upon the buildings you see in the Dollar Bell. That does not surprise me at all. Everything is very money colored. <laughs> they're the banking clan. They're greedy capitalists, but in space. Yes, that makes it different. <laughs> Alright, let's talk about the voice cast for a little bit. First off, the only person who is in the live-action films, Anthony Daniels, is C-3PO. He never turns down an opportunity to play the character, I guess. I mean, honestly, I can't imagine C-3PO with any other voice, because everybody else sounds like the actors, but you know it's not the actors. It's always got to be C-3PO, everyone's favorite anxious, probably gay robot. Yeah, everyone else is kind of like 80% of the way there. Yeah. And they're more or less pulled from the voice talent for Star Wars video games. Almost all of them show up in the 2008 show. It's actually be easier to mention the ones who don't. I always think the scene is pretty funny where um, C-3PO's just like, it's like, you must not recognize me. It's my disguise. It's like, no, because now he has gold plating and he's like, take off your disguise in a place like, he shows, takes off his robe and it plays stripper music and it's just like really funny and it's like, yes, we're watching Star Wars because it's goofy. In terms of people who are not in the movies, first we have Matt Lucas as Anakin Skywalker. Once again, he's Anakin for the entirety of the other Clone Wars cartoon. I thought his cartoon. name was Matt Lanter. Yeah, I saw Matt Lucas, but uh, yeah, could be Matt Lanter. I, I now I'm embarrassed. I'll no, have to double no, check no, that no, later. I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> I'm supposed to provide witty commentary. I mean, Hayden Christensen got a lot of shit for his performance in the live-action prequels when they were coming out. I remember the riff tracks where the first joke is like, oh, so that's the voice you're going to be using for the whole movie, huh? (laughs) Granted, I don't think anyone could have sold some of those lines, but... I do think that people hate on Christensen a bit more than he deserves. That might be true for the prequel trilogy as a whole. Uh, with agree. two the decades of retrospect. I, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I do think that Matt, whatever his last name, yeah. <laughs> does give a more nuanced performance as Anakin. I do think that they handle Anakin's gradual corruption more effectively here than they do in the proper films. Yeah, I think that um, Hayden Christensen, when he's not giving George Lucas level dialogue, he's a very good physical actor. Like, his expressions as, you know, Anakin falls apart are good. The scene where he comforts Shmi as she's dying, that's some good acting. Uh, Then we have uh, James Arnold Taylor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He also continues to play Obi-Wan in the subsequent cartoon. He is best known otherwise for doing various video game uh, voices, the most famous being Ratchet in the Ratchet and Clank franchise. 
I don't know much about Ratchet and Clank. I'm on the impression that the character is like this classic heckling uh, trickster thing, like Woody Woodpecker or Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah, uh, play the me there. Yeah, Obi-Wan is pretty different from that archetype. However, I do think he fills the role well. He has voiced Obi-Wan more and has more like time as Obi-Wan than both Ewan McGregor and Sir Alec Guinness combined. Ah, uh, so he's a Kevin Conroy. Yeah, he is. So yeah, at some point he must have gotten it down because, yeah, once again, no complaints there. He's, no, he's, he's doing he's good. he's got it. Right, the most experienced voiced actor I, I could find was uh, Tom Kane, who's Yoda on this. He has a bunch of things. He has a very large IMDb, even by the standards of a voice actor. He voices Lord Monkey Fist on Kim Possible. Yay! And he is both <laughs> Professor Utonium and him on the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> And those are diverse roles, so this guy's got range, and he's a completely solid Yoda. Oh, yeah, I actually thought it was Frank Oz. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we were able to talk Oz into coming back for the Disney sequels, but you know, Cartoon Network doesn't have Frank Oz money, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, then we have Terrence Connor Carson as Mace Windu. I kept thinking that it was Phil Lamar, or maybe it's Phil Lamar as Mace Windu in the anime, the other show. According to what I could find, Carson continues to voice Windu in the um, Clone Wars cartoon. I know Phil Lamar is there somewhere, because Phil Lamar is in everything. Yeah. I mean, I was watching the show, and I was like, is that Phil Lamar? Because it doesn't sound like him. I guess I, I don't know. Well, you did the research. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, aside from Windu, Carson's main credit is he is Kratos in the God of War series. Damn. <laughs> yeah, those are those are two pretty different roles. Yeah, I know. I never would have guessed. All right, another voice acting lifer with a ton of credits is uh, Corey Burton, who is Count Dooku. He has been working for Disney since the 80s, so a whole lot of Disney characters. He has been voicing Captain Hook for pretty much the last 10 or 15 years, including the Neverland Pirates show, I'm assuming. The most infamous one I could find is that in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he is Judge Doom's high squeaky voice. Oh! <laughs> you're pretty, pretty, I saw him just like yeah. this! Yeah, that. <laughs> so, he's less scary as Count Dooku. <laughs> good idea to have someone with the gravitas of Christopher Lee. And originally, we can talk a little bit about this later on, I know that some character designs that were also used for other characters were originally intended for other characters, like the Magna Guards. Those were a leftover design for General Grievous. They liked him enough to make him the Magna Guards. Asajj Ventress was a possible new Sith Apprentice because they wanted somebody different than Darth Maul for um, Attack of the Clones. And originally they were like, oh, it, it should be a woman, it should be a woman. Honestly, it probably should have been. But I think having Count Dooku as Christopher Lee as Count Dooku was a good choice. And, you know, uh, alas, you know, he and uh, Peter Cushing couldn't have had Star Wars scenes together. That would have been awesome. Uh, yeah, speaking of Asajj Ventress, we have Grey Delise as Asajj Ventress. She's mm -hmm. also Shakti and Padme. 
my first introduction to Great Elise is obviously, for at least for me, because I'm, you know, a 90s baby, um, Azula in Avatar The Last Airbender. I know you haven't watched it, but she has a very distinctive voice. I know she has, like, a very big range, but she has sort of that gravelly kind of quality to her voice where if I hear her in anything, I'm like, it's Great Elise, it's Great Elise, it's Great Elise. Yeah, as Rachel mentioned already, uh, Asajj was intended to be introduced in Attack of the Clones, but left out. Her death is ambiguous. She gets thrown off a cliff here. She so... comes back in the comics. <laughs> yeah, she also has her backstory tweaked for the 2008 cartoon and is reintroduced with a new voice actor. Yeah, and I read like some of the Clone Wars comics that are definitely considered non-canon, thanks a lot, Disney, where her backstory was she was in a war-torn planet. She had a Jedi kind of teach her the ways of the lightsaber. Then he died fell the dark side blah 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 she fakes her death and then goes off to the far side of the galaxy never to be seen again uh, the reception for this series it got very high praise uh, largely for dynamic visuals and the kinetic battle sequences both of which are richly deserved oh yeah Tartakovsky borrows from a lot of sources outside of animation Chinese wushu films the ballet style fight sequences you often see in Shaw Brothers films from the 70s I feel like it also felt had a little bit of like spaghetti western in there too oh most definitely I mean there's a big bleed over between Japanese Chambara films and uh, Spaghetti Westerns when they aren't literally remaking each other. Oh, I mean, you and I had a good laugh when we realized that they kept doing the Star Wars dissolves. Let's <laughs> <laughs> think of the scene in Spaceballs where uh, Barf's like, nice dissolve. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> no matter who is making the Star Wars movies... There's going to be a lot of wipes for the scene oh, transitions. Yeah. And wipes are out of fashion for modern Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking. Whenever they make a Star Wars movie, there are wipes. Because Lucas used wipes. Because Kurosawa used wipes. Everything's connected! <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of wushu here, and there's a lot of dramatic pauses. Oh, Lots of moments sure. where the characters are staring each other down. But it's good. I feel like a lot of like modern-day action scenes don't have sort of that dramatic pause, like that breathing effect. Like, um, I guess one really good example, um, we're going to go for another uh, science fiction mega franchise, the Battle of the Mutara Nebula in Wrath of Khan, Star Trek. Like, there's a couple of scenes where you just watch the Enterprise and the Reliant pass each other because they can't see each other because they're in a fucking nebula, and it really adds to the tension, and it's far more interesting to watch than if it was always pew, 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 lasers all the time. Yeah, I wanted to make another comparison to more recent action franchise, the John Wick movies. Hey, you know what? We are actually recording it on his Lord, our Lord and Savior, Keanu Reeves' birthday. No kidding. Yeah, happy birthday, Keanu Reeves. Okay, I'm, I'm down to talk about John Wick. <laughs> now, the John Wick movies are very quickly paced for the most part, but mm -hmm. there are moments where they stop and breathe, and in those moments, you have John Wick struggling to get up or or massaging his sore shoulder, or just breathing hard. And it's not much, but it makes the character seem like he's not invincible. And that makes it easier for the viewer to relate to him. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking of that scene in the third one, where he's fighting the raid guys, and they help him up to his feet. <laughs> 
and, and he falls down again and they're like we'll, we'll help it we'll help you up again and he's like no and he's like no i'm good it adds like a little bit of humor to it and also adds characterization and i do know that keanu reeves really liked that and said that he didn't want john wick to kill them so both of the guys survived their fight with him and he places his hand respectfully on his chest gives them a little nod before he moves on so yeah you don't understand that anakin is conflicted because he wants about he's conflicted or talks about how much he doesn't like sand you get his tension from his spaghetti western stare downs with ventress yeah it's the classic show don't tell Clone Wars won three Emmys. Two of them were for Outstanding Animated Program. Mm -hmm. And then background designer Justin Thompson was awarded for Outstanding Individual in Animation. I mean, honestly, yes, the time and effort is clearly obvious in this show. Yeah, it also won an Annie Award for Best Animated TV Production for its final season. Mm-hmm. It's not possible to talk about the 2003 to 2005 Clone Wars cartoon without mentioning the 2008 one that followed almost immediately afterwards. It was a very deliberate expansion upon the Tartakovsky show. The character designs were lifted directly from Tartakovsky's show, just transferred to, you know, 3D CGI. Captain Alpha, who was leading the clone troopers during the aforementioned badass space cannon demolition sequence, <laughs> was considered for the 2008 show, where George Lucas felt that too many Star Wars characters as is had names starting with A, so they created a very similar character called Captain Rex instead. Well, of course they're similar. They're clones. <laughs> I don't know about you, I watched the 2008, like, in theaters Clone War movie because it's Star Wars. It wasn't very good. I know the TV show is better, but I've really never been able to get into it. Yeah, I checked out when they introduced that uh, Truman Capote Jabba the Hutt sibling. Oh my god, yeah. It, it's like, could you be any more offensive with this stereotype? Yeah, I, I heard that it's much better than the pilot movie, but I there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, I've never been able to get and, into and it. And also, and like, here's my, my beef, and I will, I'll talk about this more later, but I think that it was... Stupid to bring back Darth Maul. So that's my that's my opinion. I don't care how cool it is or getting to use it use him again. It's silly. So I rolled my eyes into the back of my head when he also showed up in solo. But I will also say this now. I hate Disney Star Wars, so <laughs> I mean, I'm under the impression that Darth Maul started out as a very cool character design and desperate search for a character. I mean, so Ray I, I mean, is I, always awesome, no matter what he's in. I understand the desire to actually try to do more with him. Yeah, but he also got cut in half, and, you know, I, I sure it's Star Wars, and I can buy into, like, all the cybernetic implants and stuff, but, like, how does he go to the bathroom? Does he eat? Is his body rotting? Like, I can believe Darth Vader getting turned into a cyborg, because most of his torso was, you know, intact if, you know, well-roasted. <laughs> Rachel kept calling up George Lucas and asking him how Darth Maul poops, and that's why... <laughs> George Lucas sold Lucas from the <laughs> It's Rachel's fault. No! Yeah, um, okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> Yeah, the 2008 show was not intended to supersede the 2003 show. From what I've been told, it kind of works around it. But Disney declared that the uh, Gendy Tartakovsky show was non-canonical after acquiring Lucasfilm. The 2008 show stands. 
Yeah, well, that means nothing to me. Yes, <laughs> because you hate Disney Star Wars. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll go on my, is this, is this the time for me to go on, on my, my brief rant about why I don't like Disney Star Wars? I go mean, ahead. I, okay, all right. And this will also lead into my next talking point about, is this a good cartoon, Clone Wars, I'm just talking about, and is it good Star Wars? Is it one or the other, or is it both? Like, for example... I thought that The Last Jedi was a good movie. I thought it was a bad Star Wars movie. I think that it did not fit in well with it, and I didn't really like what they did with a lot of, like, the OG characters. Mostly because I wasn't, like, a super into the, you know, the old EU back in the day, but I was aware of it enough. Especially when it came to prequel things. I read a lot of, like, you know, the Jedi Apprentice books when I was a kid. I don't know, I just, I did not, I was not impressed with The Last Jedi as a Star Wars movie, even if it was visually stunning. It surprised me a bit, but I did not think it was a good Star Wars story. And not that I want Star Wars to be predictable and spoon-fed to me, but I just had felt something kind of lacking. Say what you want about the prequels, but they were made with love and actual effort. The most frequent motif I've heard comparing the two trilogies to each other is that the prequels are a compelling story told poorly, Mm -hmm. whereas the Disney trilogy is a boring, trite story told very professionally and competently, which I sort of agree with, except for Rise of Skywalker. I don't think that was competently told. Oh my god, Rise of Skywalker? I saw it, and it was just bad. And, And, you know, and honestly, some of, like... I can understand, you know, you have to have conflict in a story, but some of the EU ideas were way better than what they got. Why couldn't Luke Skywalker have a Jedi school? You know, why didn't Han and Leia have more kids and not that dumb? I mean, Adam Driver is a fine actor, but... He just felt very misused playing a 32-year-old man-child. Ray gets barely developed. Finn, what they did to Finn and John Boyega is criminal. Even Oscar Isaac said that if he had known what was going to come in the next movies, he would have rather have had Poe Dameron die like he was originally intended to. And overall, the Disney trilogy made me think of, to use an analogy here, the classic rock band from the 70s who are just going out for one last tour since they're going to be 80 pretty soon and they just need enough money to uh, survive for the rest of their lives. And they're just sort of plodding through the hits that the crowd wants to hear and they're tired and they don't want to do this anymore and they're sick of Hotel California, but fine, fuck it, here's Hotel California. Yeah, but it didn't didn't even give us a good pastiche. I guess. You know, and I liked The Force Awakens, but compared with what happens afterwards, the flaws that are in the following two movies are established there. And also, I will say, it was fucking awful of them to make Carrie Fisher lose one-fourth of her body weight. Yeah, especially since losing that much weight that quickly is bad for your health. and May have contributed to her death at 60? Yeah. But yeah, no, I, yeah, those are my my thoughts. Like, I love the prequel. Some of it, I will say, is my childhood nostalgia. Like, like as we've said before, Ryan and I were, like, around the same age, but we did not grow up watching the same things on TV. The prequels, that was exciting to, you know, watch them. And I was obsessed with Star Wars as, like, an early tween because, I was a lonely, awkward girl, and Star Wars was my friend, you know? 
I will always have that soft place for it during the awkward years, which is probably why I hate Disney, Star Wars. Although, I will admit that I will check out the Obi-Wan show because Ewan McGregor is hot as hell. And maybe I like The Mandalorian, but there's, as you said earlier, there's only oh so many hours in the day. And I would much rather watch garbage reality television. You're here. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of the prequels, although my opinion on them has softened since I was an angry teenager. <laughs> I, most of the stuff that I have issues with, I still have issues with. Mm-hmm. They're overlong. They take themselves too seriously. They focus more on boring fake politics. Yes, There's a I lot agree. of uncomfortable racial stereotypes. Oh, yeah. A great deal of the acting is super awkward. The dialogue given to the <laughs> actors does them absolutely no favors. I mean, you and McGregor is holding those movies on. On his back. Granted, almost all of those things I said <laughs> also apply to the original trilogy, exactly. whether we want to admit it or yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. And I get that people who grew up watching those prequels <laughs> are a lot more generous to them than I am, because I am pretty generous to the original trilogy. I know, it's like, Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine is evil. <laughs> But uh, you can answer my question. Is it a good car? Is it a good cartoon? And is it good Star Wars? I think it's both. I think it's good Star Wars. I have iffy feelings about whether it's a good cartoon and how you're saying like it doesn't stand by itself. Like, of course, it doesn't stand by well, itself. I mean, like, does it, it takes... take advantage of the art form? Oh, of course it does. It's mm-hmm. great animation. But yeah, that gets to one of my talking points on supplementary franchise extensions because this mm-hmm. show is not comprehensible unless you are intimately familiar with Star Wars or have at least seen the two movies that it takes place in between. Because no matter how good something is, and this is generally considered one of the best versions, these sorts of ancillary projects are usually perceived as lesser than the tentpole installments. We all know that the main characters are going to make it through unscathed, and he is not going to become Darth Vader in Clone Wars. It has to happen in Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) So no matter what the level of quality is, it still has to be skippable for casual fans, which sort of makes it disposable, but at the end of the day, all culture is disposable. We only have so much time on this earth. I think the average human lives about 4,000 weeks, which sounds very finite when you phrase it that way. At least it does to me. So like what you're going to like, watch whatever you want. If you're not interested in Citizen Kane and you just want to venture into every single Star Wars side story, you know what? Every hour that you're not giving to a company is yours. (laughs) Spend it how you like. I think that because it's, you know, an ancillary story, I think that it really gives it kind of space to, you know, say something unique to play around in the sandbox in an interesting way. Um, Like, uh, back to Star Trek for a moment. Star Trek Lower Decks is an ancillary, animated, absolutely hilarious Star Trek show. You can, but you can enjoy it as a standalone thing if you've never watched Star Trek before, but you won't get a lot of the joke. So it's really meant for people who like the source material to begin with. And that brings me to a related topic. Gendy Tartakovsky doing his own thing versus Gendy Tartakovsky having to play with somebody else's toys in their sandbox. Mm -hmm. Because as much leeway as I'm sure Lucasfilm was willing to give him, they wouldn't have picked Tartakovsky to make the Star Wars cartoons if they didn't like what he was doing with Samurai Jack. Mm -hmm. Still, it is a bit of a restriction that he doesn't have on Samurai Jack and some of his other shows. And it also makes me think of Hotel Transylvania. (laughs) 
because Tartakovsky directed the first two, and those are very boring, rote, predictable films. I watched them with Toby when he was young and not terribly discriminating. And I, I was... Hey, you know, he deserves a nice beach house, Ryan. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised to discover that I didn't hate them as much as I assumed a movie starring Adam Slamma doing a Dracula voice was going to be. But, yeah, other than Tarakovsky adding a lot of zip to certain set pieces and action sequences, it was a complete waste of his time. Unless he was doing that in order to, you know, buy clout so he can do Primal later. Yeah, which we should talk about Primal just a little bit because you can see, you know, its skeleton in some of, like, the Clone War fight scenes. Granted, you probably see them more in Samurai Jack, which I haven't seen but Primal, if you haven't heard of it, is about a caveman and a dinosaur. You know what? Fuck science and all that. It's great. Who are bound together after tragedy to try to survive in this very harsh and unforgiving world. And there's a couple of, like, battle episodes, quiet character moments. And what's interesting is there, well, except for, like, a little bit, there is no dialogue in it. And when there is dialogue. Um, it's not anything that anyone could understand because the one character that speaks, they are speaking ancient Arabic. Yeah, Primal has the Cretaceous period, the Paleolithic era, and the Bronze Age, because fuck science. Yeah, exactly, but it's awesome! It has great character design, too. And it is very much in Tartakovsky's less is more when it comes mm -hmm. to visual storytelling. Getting back to Anakin, his gradual corruption is much more believable on this show than I think it is in any of the prequel films. No clumsy dialogue about killing the Tuscan Raiders, women, and children. Just an impulsive decision to chase Azaj and howling with grief after giving in to his pride and his rage. Mm -hmm. I think is a much more effective way to frame Anakin succumbing to the dark side and possibly to toxic masculinity. Yeah, like, trigger warning for discussion of suicidal ideation, but, like, at the end of, I think, like, what, the first episode? Halfway the first episode of Primal where Spear, the caveman, is, like, mourning for his family and thinking about uh, he's gonna jump off the cliff and die and join them, and you can kind of, and he waits. Like, he doesn't do it immediately. He waits until the sun comes up, and then he has a vision of his family, and he decides that he's gonna try to survive. They don't want him to die. And that's all without dialogue or anything. Yeah, Tartakovsky can frame this with his very minimal character designs mm -hmm. just moving gradually in the Clone Wars cartoons one of my favorite character exchanges is when you know Anakin is being suggested by Palpatine to be promoted and he gives a little smug grin while uh, so Palpatine creepy. is talking him up and then Obi-Wan rebuffs him saying that while Anakin is very skilled he is not mature enough to use his Jedi powers responsibly <laughs> and, his, and his face sours immediately he and it's just a gradual shift of line but it's immediately apparent yeah he's just a dumb night Teen-year-old. Yeah, and I also will say Fang the dinosaur, there's nothing in Fang's character design that says that she is a lady dinosaur. She does not have eyelashes. She does not have titties. She is not pink. The only reason why you know that she's a lady dinosaur is because she has babies. Yeah, no, no, no mini mouse bow either. Yeah, by the no way. mini mouse bow. <laughs> not even on her tail. <laughs> 
But yeah, Tartakovsky on Primal, he gets to be completely off the chain, because not only is it his show, but it's an Adult Swim show, so it's not Samurai Jack slicing up robots. Oh, yeah, it, uh, yeah we mentioned that Primal is incredibly violent. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's animated. There's a couple of moments where I was like, Ooh, oh my god! <laughs> When you're in the Lucasfilm sandbox, you are in a bit of a straitjacket. Beforehand, it was under Lucas. Now it's under Disney, which I'm, I'm assuming is worse. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lucas was very hands-on. He practically shadow-directed Return of the Jedi. Uh, Richard Marquand, the credited director, compared it to conducting the Ninth Symphony if Beethoven was hovering behind you the whole time going, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Fun fact about Richard Marquand. If you read Carrie Fisher's excellent book, The Princess Diarist, she dedicates the book to her you know her castmates you know you know Harrison Ford Mark Hamill George Lucas you know Ryan Johnson Irving Kirshner and he, she does not dedicate it to Richard Marquand because he was an absolute dick to her and made her cry he would praise and praise upon Harrison Ford and then just be a shit to her so Carrie Fisher always gets the last laugh uh, Richard Marquand thinks he's Stanley Kubrick I guess <laughs> Apparently, man, I'm sure Shelly Duvall just bonked him with that baseball bat. Stanley Kubrick just a boop. Okay, well, that's the entirety of my notes. Is there um, anything that, uh, yeah. anything we haven't touched upon yet? Oh, I just wanted to say that Shock T, the uh, Haruga Jedi, who features very prominently in the second half of the show. She is always one of my favorite Jedi characters, and I always play as her in Lego Star Wars. It, you know, before, like, you know, Rey and everything. You know, it's nice as a little girl to have to see a lady Jedi. It's why I was so attached to Captain Janeway when I was five. So I enjoy it because, you know, one of my favorite characters is there. And did you say one of your sisters has a crush on the kid? Fisto. Yeah, yeah, Cheryl has a crush on Kid Fisto. Good taste. I mean, I was too busy being in love with Obi-Wan Kenobi. But everyone's in love with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. No, no. She likes the submersible one with the aquatic dreadlocks. Yes, he was also a possible design for a Sith Apprentice, but taken and used elsewhere. Never throw anything out. Always recycle. Mm. All right, well, we managed to do this without fighting over our Star Wars opinions. <laughs> See, I liked Rogue One, and Ryan didn't like it. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I didn't like Rogue One, but I'm not going to punch anyone in the face over there. <laughs> I know, but... Seriously, guys, cool your tits. It's Star Wars. It's yeah, supposed it's, to be fun. Yeah, it's Star Wars, and guess what? It's meant for children. Okay, and on that note, I think that's enough for this, uh, for one episode. I don't think either of us have gotten in as much trouble as we could have. All uh, right, well, here's one more thing we can say. May the Force be with you. And also with you. Yeah, we're both... <laughs> Star Wars fan, you're raised Catholic. 